The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Good morning. As Gary said, we're in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you in the pew, and it is on page 781 in the pew Bible. And if you don't have your own Bible, please feel free to take one of the pew Bibles with you as a gift from Park Church. Matthew 26. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Cephas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, Park Church. How's everybody doing? Not too bad? Not too bad? All right. So check this out. My name is Luke, and uh, I'm the student minister here. Uh, So I tell you this so that you can buckle up your seatbelts because some of my illustrations are ridiculous. But uh, anyway, we're going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew, where we've been looking at the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to be examining a super interesting story. It's a little bit weird, but it's a super interesting story, story, which is it's Jesus' anointing at Bethany. Jesus getting anointed at Bethany. And on first blush, this story seems kind of weird. seems kind of strange. Because, like, check it out. Like, Jesus is just there, minding his own business, grabbing dinner with his boys, when, like, out of nowhere, this lady shows up and dumps a bunch of perfume on his head, and you're like, what? What's going on here? Seems kind of weird. What's happening here? It's kind of strange. In John chapter 12, we learn that this woman is Mary. This woman is Mary, who is the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. And throughout Scripture, Mary is constantly portrayed as the one who gets it. She's the one that just gets it. On the one hand, you have like the Pharisees over here. Those guys are jerks. They don't, they don't like Jesus. And then you have like the teachers of the law, the, you know, the scribes, all those guys. And, and, but then the religious leaders, they don't know anything. Then you have the disciples who actually also don't know anything. Those guys are idiots too. They don't know anything. Like they're just completely lost. They have no idea. They have no idea who Jesus is or what he's about. 
But Mary, on the other hand, has incredible, incredible insight that no one else, that no one else has. And so today, we're going to do a short character study on Mary. A short character study. And this passage shows us three things about her. It shows us three things about Mary. Number one, it shows us Mary's devotion. Number two, it shows us Mary's opposition. And number three, this passage shows us Mary's realization. Her realization, her light bulb moment. So number one, her devotion. Number two, her opposition. And number three, her realization. But I hope that you guys see the main point for today that I hope that we can gather together this morning is that because Jesus Christ gave up everything to be with us, we can give our everything for him. Let's open with a word of prayer. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Lord, we pray that you would be here this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be here, that our, our, our hearts, our minds would, would be here as well, that we'd be open to whatever it is that you have for us. Lord, we pray that you would open up our eyes to your truth, your love, your gospel. We pray that we'd be a people that are changed from the inside out as a function of you showing up this morning. Lord, I know that perhaps many of us have been coming to church for years, maybe even decades. It's like, oh, here it is, Sunday morning, hooray, we get to go to church. It's routine. But Lord, we pray that somehow this morning that we would have an encounter with you, that you would show us your face, show us your heart, show us your gospel, show us your love in a way that perhaps we haven't seen before, that you would just, I don't know, perhaps change our hearts, change our minds and that we'd be a different people that walk out that door in, you know, just after today is done, after church is over. So God, we pray that you would inhabit this time. Show us your face. May the words that come out of my mouth not be mine, but rather yours instead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, next slide. First point, Mary's devotion. Mary's devotion. Let's read verses 6 and 7 again. Verses 6 and 7. Now, When Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. Okay, what's going on here? In this passage, we observe Mary taking a bunch of expensive perfume and just dumping it on Jesus' head, right? Just dumps it on Jesus. But what's really going on here? What's really going on here? Let me try and illustrate it like this. Let's pretend, all right, we're in 21st century America, right? 21st century America, and let's pretend you're getting ready to go on a hot first date. You're going on a hot first date. What do you do to get ready? What do you do to get ready? Yes, oh yeah, yeah, call and response, that's perfect. Yes, you take a shower. I think that's a great idea. You take a shower, don't stink. Number two, you know, maybe, maybe you have to shave a little bit. Maybe you have to, you know, put on clean clothes or something like that. Maybe apply deodorant. That might be a good idea. Deodorant. Maybe put in some hair product, makeup, perfume, cologne, that sort of thing. You, you do a lot of stuff to get ready to go on a hot first date, right? You'd spend a decent amount of time and energy and resources working on looking and smelling presentable. Do you not? Go ahead and hit the next slide. In fact, if you look at the numbers, 
the average American spends about three, go ahead and hit the next slide, hit, spends about $385 per year on personal care services and pro- products. Note how in 2020 we were all slobs, right? <laughs> but about $385 per year on personal care services and products. And if you hit the next slide, we can see that also in 2021, the world spent $511 billion on the beauty and personal care market, on the beauty and personal care industry. This market, the beauty and personal care market, is a half trillion dollar industry. And it's like only growing too, right? It says in a few years, it's supposed to be $784 billion, whatever, okay, crazy. Clearly, looking and smelling attractive is super important to the 21st century American, right? Pretty important to us. But the question is, how could a person in, first, in the first century Near East look and smell attractive? How could a person in the first century Near East do that? Temperatures in the Near East, mind you, would uh, sometimes, depending on where you are, it can get pretty hot. It can be 110, 115 degrees Fahrenheit in certain places. And on top of that, in the first century, as you can probably guess, there was no air conditioning. There's no air conditioning, there's no running water, there's no showers, and there was no deodorant. So, for the most part, almost everyone back then was out of luck with regard to how they smelled. They had no choice but for the most part, most of them, to smell like how some of my youth group students smell, which is horrible, horrible. Most people in the first century Near East smelled really bad, unless they were rich, unless they were rich. Because if you were rich, you could purchase perfume, which was insanely expensive at the time. But if you were rich, you could purchase perfume. And the perfume would be contained in a flask with a tiny little hole in the top. And so that little hole would allow the aroma of the perfume to get out without risking the liquid spilling out. And what they do is they take, they buy a flask, super expensive, with a little hole on top, the aroma would escape, and they'd hang that flask around their necks. So, if you could afford it, these flasks of perfume would make you super attractive. Super attractive because you would walk around with a scent that was completely different than everybody else in your community. You would smell completely different, way better than everyone else. And in the Gospels of Mark and John, it says that the perfume Mary poured out was worth over 300 denarii. 300 denarii. And so that is approximately one year's wages for a day worker, a day laborer. One year's wages. So it was pretty expensive. So again, we see, okay, cool. Mary gave up a lot of money for Jesus, right? She spent a lot of money. She poured out a year's worth of wages in that one moment upon Jesus. But what's the big deal? What's the big deal here? Scholars aren't totally sure about this. But in Luke chapter 7, it says that the woman who anointed Jesus lived a sinful life. It says that she lived a sinful life, which is a euphemism for being a prostitute. 
And again, Bible scholars aren't totally sure about this. But if this woman in Luke chapter 7 is Mary, the same one in Matthew 26, if this is the same woman, if this is Mary, then that means that Mary was a former prostitute. And that means that her perfume, it wasn't just a luxury, it was a tool of her trade. It was a tool of her trade. Smelling good made her attractive, which attracted clients who would pay her, which would in turn allow her to survive. It would allow her to eat. But what does Mary do here? Verse 7 says, she poured the perfume on Jesus. But the Gospel of Mark says a little bit more. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. Go ahead and put it on the screen. Mark chapter 14 says, And while he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. In order to get the perfume out, because again, there's a tiny little hole at the top, she, couldn't, she had to break the flask in order for the perfume to be released. When Mary breaks her flask and pours out all of her perfume, she was making a statement. Mary was making a statement. Mary was saying, I don't need my job. I don't need money. I don't need food. I don't need shelter. I don't need anything. All I need is Jesus. And I think that Mary is asking all of us, what's in your flask? What's in your flask? What are you relying upon for your well-being? Is it money? Is it wealth? Is it popularity? Is it influence? Is it family? Is it friends? Is it a relationship? Is it your spouse? Is it entertainment? Is it your intellect? Is it your athletic ability? Is it your beauty? Again, none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. But Mary is teaching us that none of those things, none of those things come close to the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, she is making it clear that Jesus is worth, Jesus is worth more than all of those things. And so again, the question is, what's in your flask? What's in your flask? What are the things that you are placing your hope, your value in? But also, I think that Mary's also asking us, are you willing to break your flask for Jesus as well? That's our first point, Mary's devotion. Next slide, second point, Mary's opposition. Mary's opposition. Let's look at verse 8 one more time. Verse 8. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? Okay, so this passage is pretty shocking. It's pretty shocking because note who it is that's mad at Mary. Note who it is. In Luke's account, it says that the Pharisees were mad at her. The Pharisees were mad at her, which makes sense. That's not surprising. The Pharisees were jerks. They were turds. They were all mad at everybody anyway, right? So, of course, the Pharisees, they're jerks. But Matthew doesn't say it was just the Pharisees that were mad at her. It wasn't just the Pharisees. No, Matthew says it was the disciples. It was the disciples that were mad at her. Keep in mind, keep in mind that the disciples, by the way, the disciples were Jesus' best bros. They were best friends. They've been chilling with Jesus, hanging out with him just about every day for the last three years, constantly with him. So if anyone should know what Jesus likes and dislikes, should have been the disciples. Should have been them. 
And note that it doesn't say that they were just like annoyed or frustrated or upset with Mary. It doesn't say that. Matthew says that the disciples were indignant, indignant. They were furious at her. They were furious. They were angry. What she did was so outrageous that everyone in the room, they started yelling at her and just like being so angry, furious, yelling at her. So what did Mary do so wrong? What did Mary do that was so wrong? Sure, she wasted some money. She wasted a ton of money, sure. But John tells us she did something much worse than that. Go ahead and put it on the screen. John chapter 12, verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made with pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Mary let down her hair. She let down her hair to wash Jesus' feet. And in this culture, this was scandalous. This was scandalous. Because if a woman let down her hair, it meant that she was showing complete openness, complete love, and complete intimacy with someone. She was doing something that the culture said should only be done in private with her husband. In fact, the rabbis back then, they said that if a married woman lets down her hair in public, it was grounds for divorce. It was grounds for divorce for her to let down her hair in public. So Mary wasn't just saying, Jesus, I give you my stuff. She wasn't just saying, I give you my stuff. She was saying, Jesus, I give you my all. Jesus, I give you my everything. Jesus, I I am entirely, I'm completely, I'm utterly yours. I'm yours. You can do whatever you want. You could be... You could be mean to me. You could hurt me. You could kill me if you wanted to. But I will still love you. And this is a powerful statement. This is a beautiful statement that Mary is making. But unfortunately, no one in the room understood. Nobody in the room understood what she was doing. Not even the disciples. Everyone in the room only cared about outward appearances. They only cared about outward appearances, what she was doing with scandals. They only cared about what was on the outside, what the world thinks. But Mary, on the other hand, only cared about what Jesus thinks. When I lived in California, I was a high school basketball coach. Uh, I was uh, an assistant coach. Uh, I wasn't very good, but I yelled a lot, and I pretended like I knew what I was doing. So, like, the people liked me, the kids liked me, whatever. And in all of my years of coaching, I only had one kid, one student, who went on to play Division I basketball. And his name was William. It was my kid, William. Go ahead and put, him on, uh, put up that slide. So this is William. Uh, and Will wasn't the most athletically gifted kid that I've ever coached. He wasn't the biggest or the strongest or the fastest kid that I ever coached. But the biggest reason he made it, he got to play D1 basketball. The reason why he made it and no one else did, even the ones that were more talented and athletic and stronger and faster and bigger than him, the reason why he made it and they didn't was because he knew who his audience was. He knew his audience. Will would regularly put up 25 to 30 points a game. Like, that was regular for him, putting up 25, 30 points. This kid could shoot like nothing. He lit it up. He practiced a lot, but he could light it up. And everybody loved him. Everybody loved Will. 
The crowd loved him. His teammates loved him. Girls, especially the girls in our youth group, they loved him. Uh, College scouts, the college scouts loved him. Everybody loved Will. But what made him different than everybody else was that he did not care about any of that. He didn't care how many points he scored a game. He didn't care what his friends said about him. He didn't care about the roar of the crowd. He didn't care about what the girls thought about him. He didn't even care what the college scouts thought about him. The only thing that mattered to him was what his head coach thought about him. And it turns out that his head coach was his dad. In 2017, um, our team, we advanced to the California Division II Central Section Championship game. We called it the Valley title back then. And it was a hard-fought game. It was one of those like big defensive battles. Lots of defense. Tough defense. It was really hard. And the opposing coach drew up a brilliant defensive plan that specifically targeted Will. They said, hey, this guy scores 30 points a night. We're going to double-team him every time he touches the ball. Every time he crosses half-court, we're going to double-team this guy. We're going to force everybody else to beat us, not Will. Will can't do it. So he got double-teamed the whole night. We won the championship. But in that game, Will scored only four points that game. He only scored four points. It was his lowest scoring total of the entire season. And so it was a pretty frustrating night for him. It was frustrating. And he was pretty down at first. He was pretty down about it at first. But in the locker room, his dad sat him down one-on-one. And his dad explained to him how the other team, by the other team double-teaming him, it gave everybody else open looks. Everybody else had open looks, and they had free shots because they were all double-teaming Will. And so because he was attracting all that attention, everyone else was getting open looks, and we won the game. And his dad told him that, Will, you might not feel it, but you actually played great. You played fantastic. And when his dad said that, Will smiled, and he started laughing and celebrating with his team. For Will, his dad's opinion was the only opinion that mattered to him. And for Mary, it was her Savior's opinion that was the only opinion that mattered to her. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's okay to be a narcissist. I'm not saying it's okay to be a psychopath and not care about what everybody else, what anybody else thinks. Not saying that. Don't get me wrong. But I think that maybe some of us might care a little bit too much about the crowd's applause. Some of us might care a little bit too much about the crowd's applause. We, we, we cave and maybe we lower our standards a little bit and, and we put God in the back seat because we want to be liked by others, because we want to fit in sometimes. I want to encourage you guys, be like Mary. Be like Mary, who did not care about the applause or the opposition that she received. She didn't care. The only thing that she really cared about was the opinion of her Savior. That's our second point. Next slide, last point. Mary's realization. Mary's realization. All right. So now we understand the meaning of Mary's actions. We understand what, what she did, what she was saying, the statement that she was making when she poured out her perfume. Her devotion, her actions, it was super powerful, super moving. But the question is, why? Why? Why was she so devoted? 
What did Jesus do to earn such amazing devotion from her? I would argue it's because Mary realized something before anyone else did. She figured something out before everyone else. In John chapter 12, we learn that this dinner that they were at, this dinner was a dinner that was held in Jesus' honor because he had just resurrected Lazarus from the dead. Jesus had just resurrected Lazarus, who was Mary's brother. He just resurrected Mary's brother from the dead. And so a bunch of, in John chapter 11, and I think verses 44, 45, it says that a bunch of people, her friends from out of town, came to town to mourn with Mary over the loss of the brother, uh, of her brother. But then turns out, oh, he rose from the dead. So they sell, turned into a celebration. And it says that some of her friends became Christians. Some of her friends were like, whoa, he just rose somebody from the dead. I think he's the Messiah. We're going to believe in him. So some of her friends did that. But it also said that some of her friends snitched. Some of her friends snitched. And they told the Pharisees who then decided to murder Jesus. Let's read verses 1 through 4 again. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name is Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. I think Mary knew what her friends did. Mary knew what those friends did. She knew that they snitched on Jesus. And on top of that, we know that Mary, who was always found at Jesus' feet, she's always found listening to Jesus, we, we think, so we can tell that Mary was listening to what he had been saying for a long time. Jesus has been saying, and he's been predicting his death for a long time. In fact, if you go back 10 chapters to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says this, 10 chapters ago, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus has been calling it for a while and Mary was listening. Mary was always listening, always at Jesus' feet. And so she pieced together what no one else did. She realized, oh no, the only way Jesus can give me life is if he loses his. That's the only way. When the disciples were still like derping around thinking that Jesus was going to be a political conqueror, oh yeah, we're going to be in Jesus' cabinet. We can't wait to beat Rome. While they're still thinking like in these political terms, Mary figured it out. Mary figured it out. She figured out what Jesus was really saying. And he was saying that he was going to give his life for her. So, knowing he was giving everything for her, she let him know that she would give everything for him. And so she broke the flask and poured it out for Jesus. Let me conclude like this. In Avengers Infinity War, <laughs> there's a guy named Thanos, who is this big, purple, bad guy. <laughs> Thanos gets all six infinity stones. They're just like power rocks. And Thanos destroys half of the universe. 
So, in the movie Avengers Endgame, the Avengers go on a mission to undo Thanos' destruction. But what happens is, Doctor Strange, who's this like wizard guy who can see the future, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, so Doctor Strange looks at 14 million possible futures, possible outcomes, and he tells Iron Man, who's just this rich guy in a metal suit played by Robert Downey Jr., he tells Iron Man that there's only one way to beat Thanos. Out of the 14 million possibilities, there's only one way to win. And so we're going to try and play a video. It didn't work in the first service, but hopefully it works today or this time. I don't think it's working because the timing is off. Uh, that's okay. I'll just explain. <laughs> it's alright. It didn't work. That's okay. Let me explain to you what happens. And it's a spoiler, but if you haven't seen this yet, this came out two years ago, so it's your fault. <laughs> so here's what happens. Uh, they're like, okay, so there's this thing called the Infinity Gauntlet, which has all five, six of the Infinity Stones. And Thanos has it. He's about to make a snap and kill half of the universe, right? But Iron Man, he's fighting and he's struggling against Thanos to get the gauntlet from him and to get the stones from him so he doesn't snap and blow up the universe. And while he's fighting, he's losing. Iron Man is losing this fight. And so what happens is Doctor Strange and Iron Man, they make eye contact because earlier in the previous movie, in Infinity War, Doctor Strange told Iron Man... There's only one way to win. There's only one way. And so Iron Man, what he does is, because he's a ninja, he was able to trick Thanos into thinking he had the stones in his gauntlet when Iron Man pulled the stones into his gauntlet. And so what Iron Man did, spoiler, I know, I'm sorry, but it's your fault that you haven't watched the movie. Iron Man snaps his fingers, and he ends up taking out Thanos instead of Thanos killing the universe. But because of the power that's involved with the Infinity Stones, it ends up killing Iron Man in the process. Why did I try and show the video and share that story with you to conclude this message? Here's the deal. Just as Doctor Strange realized that Iron Man's sacrifice was the one and only way to save the world, Mary also realized that Jesus' sacrifice was the one and only way to save the world, too. So knowing that Jesus was going to the cross to die for her, Mary 
did this thing, she ABC'd. This is what our youth group kids say all the time. This is Mary ABC'd. She admitted A, she admitted her sin, her brokenness. B, she believed that Jesus was the only way through his death and resurrection. And C, she chose to give everything to him. ABC, she admitted her sin, believed in Jesus, and chose to give him everything. And so, Mary shows us that being a Christian isn't about just following a bunch of religious rules. I think a lot of us think that, a lot of people. I think the world thinks Christianity is all about just following a bunch of rules. But that is not it. Mary shows us that is not true. It's not just about following rules. Instead, being a Christian means being like Mary. May we be a people that love Jesus with all that we are since he first loved us with all that he is. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I confess that sometimes, Lord, I'm, <laughs> I get so busy. I get like Martha sometimes. I get busy I've got stuff to do. I've got projects to do. I've got work to do. I've got, you know, people to hang out with. I've got, you know, stuff to do at home. I've got all the stuff going on in my life. Uh, all good stuff, but sometimes I forget. So often I forget that you gave your life for me. That you gave up everything just for a shot. Just for a shot to be with me. Just to be with us. And so God, we pray that that story of your sacrifice, the gospel would just, I don't know, infiltrate our hearts again this morning. Even perhaps, even for those of us that have been hearing it ever since we were little kids, ever since we were little, perhaps we've been hearing this story, or maybe we're hearing it for the first time this morning, but whatever the case might be, we pray that this story of the gospel of how you spared no expense, how you loved us to the end and you gave everything for us, you gave your life for us. We pray that that story would fill our hearts again this morning and we'd be moved would be moved and broken for what you did for us. And that it wouldn't just be um, like, mind, like brain knowledge. It wouldn't just be information, biblical information that just goes into our brains. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. But instead, it would be something that infiltrates our hearts, knowing that you gave everything for us. And Lord, we pray that, that that joy would fill us so much because you loved us to the end. Lord, we pray that that would fill us to the point where we could say, we want to love you to the end too. Just like Mary, knowing that you gave everything for her, she gave everything for you. So we pray that we would do the same, that we would reciprocate appropriately given the sacrifice that you made for us. And so God, we just pray that that gospel story would just, I don't know, break our hearts once more. And perhaps that would move us to, to do something a little bit different this week, to do a little bit different today or this month or something like that, that perhaps we'd be, we'd be moved to share your goodness and your love with those around us, maybe our, our neighbors or, or, or maybe our coworkers or our classmates or our teammates or, or, or the people around us or our families. Lord, we pray that that joy for what you've done for us would move us so that we do something and go on mission for you. So God, go before us. Move in us, change us, break our hearts once again, and give us joy for what you've done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. 
Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.